going to jump into our series. We started a brand new series last week entitled Weeds or, or Wheat. Uh, and I'm kind of really excited about this series. It's, it's basically a, a study of the life of David. And uh, we're going to look at several of the things. But our main verse that we've been using is found in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Before we read that, I want to pray. And, uh, and then we'll go ahead and read that scripture. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, we're so excited about what you're doing and how you're, you're moving in our lives. And Father, we just pray that you would take this message, that you would help us to apply it, that you would help us to, to learn from it. And Father, that you would help me, that you would anoint me. And help me to communicate the things that, that not even the, the things that I think need to be communicated, but the things that you desire to be communicated to your kids. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us as we look at these things together. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, Galatians 6, 7, and 8 are our main verse for our series this morning. And so we're going to look at that again to kind of remind you of that, especially because we just started our series. But here's what it says. It says, do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. What you always harvest, you always harvest what you plant. Always harvest what you plant. Last week we kind of began as kind of an introduction talking about the fact that, listen, there's laws of nature, there's laws of God, there's laws that things that God has set up, and this is one of them. You are always going to harvest what you plant. You're always planting and you will always harvest. And so it's important that we understand that. Okay, let's jump back in there and let's see, let's finish up our verse there if it's there. There it is. Thank you. It says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Last week we, we looked at a different translation. It talked about this idea of, of hey, listen, if you plant weeds, you're going to harvest weeds. If you plant those things, those selfish desires, those things that are not of God, guess what you're going to harvest? You're going to harvest the same things. But here's the great thing is, is, is we plant and, and do that with the good things of God, the Spirit of God, then we're going to harvest some really amazing things because God wants us to grow. God has a, a desire for that, and that's really something we want to talk about and remember as we go through this. God wants you to grow, and God helps you to grow. This is about understanding that growth that God wants to do in us and, and help us in that. God doesn't leave us alone in that. God doesn't just say, hey, you got to grow on your own. But he does desire to help us. He wants this in our lives and will help us to do that. So we've been looking and we are going to continue this morning to look into the life of David to begin to understand how these principles work in our lives, how we can apply them, how we can use them, and how they can help us to grow into the men and women of God that he's called us to be. And so we're going to jump in. Now listen, I know last week we started with the idea of David's uh, anointing, uh, and, and basically that was in 1 Samuel 16. Now, here's the thing. If you, if you know your Bible at all, uh, after that takes place in 16, we get into chapter 17. Now, chapter 17 is a very, very well-known portion of Scripture. This is the portion of Scripture where David fights Goliath, okay? Now, because I'm me, and I think you know, if you know me at all, you know what I'm, uh, yeah, that you understand that comment. We are not going to talk about David and Goliath. We are not going to talk about that giant in David's life 
in this series. Even though I know it's like you're probably thinking, oh, that's the next step. We're not going there because we've talked about David and Goliath recently. And I want to talk about something a little bit different. I want to actually talk about what I believe is not the first giant in David's life, but the second giant in David's life. The second giant. And he fights it, interestingly, right after he fights the first one. And we've always focused on the first one. When you've been a little kid in Sunday school and so on and so forth, you know the story, David and Goliath, the slaying. That's how we know it. But we don't always know the second giant that David had to fight. And here's what's interesting about this. Saul, King Saul, didn't fight the first giant. And he also didn't fight the second one. He was defeated ultimately, by both. And this morning, as you look into your notes, we're going we're gonna to look at this trap that Saul fell into, but David didn't. And that trap is called the comparison trap. The comparison trap. Let's look at 1 Samuel 18. In 1 Samuel 18, we have just experienced an amazing victory. David and has, has defeated Goliath. They have routed the enemy. This is a good day. This is a good situation. And that's kind of where we pick up our story in 1 Samuel 18. It says this. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war. And, the appointment that, and that appointment was welcomed by the people and Saul's... Um, Officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's Goliath, okay, women from all the town of Israel came out to meet King Saul, okay? So the guys have gone out, they've had battle, God has given them the victory, they're now returning home, and the ladies have now come out to meet them. And they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This is a great day. This is an amazing day. This is a day where God has literally taken care of the enemy. David has looked at the enemy and said, Hey, listen, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the living God. And God has done an amazing work through David. The enemy has been defeated. Hey, this is a good day. And so the ladies have come out, the women of Israel have come out, and they are celebrating with the army. This is awesome, this is great, they're having a good time. And now let's pick up the story in verse number 7. Okay, This is their song. So the ladies have come out, and they're excited, and they begin to sing this song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands... And David has killed his 10,000. And this is interesting. This made Saul very angry. So I want you to picture this. This, this, this picture in your mind. Okay? You have, you've come in. Man, you've won. You're the king. Okay? You're the king. If you look back into 1 Samuel, some of the things that are said about King Saul are awesome. They're amazing. They're wonderful things. They're things that really are, are things that, that should encourage King Saul. But here's the problem. King Saul, earlier on in 1 Samuel, has disobeyed God. He did, he kind of, we talked about this a little bit last week. He did things his own way. And God has communicated to him through the prophet Samuel that his kingdom will end. Okay? It will end because of his disobedience, because he has chosen to do things his own way. 
And so he understands that. He knows that. And so now there's this battle beginning to brew in the mind of King Saul. And because he knows what God has said before, he knows what God has said since. And there's this battle going on of of looking around going, what's going to happen? How is this going to take place? Who's going to replace me? All these things are beginning to rattle around in his head. And now he has not done what he's supposed to do. We could have talked about this last, or, or, you know, today, but we decided not to. Saul's job was to go fight Goliath. Some of us don't know that. That was his job. More than anyone, it was the king's job. But Saul didn't want to fight. He was scared to fight Goliath. So David does it in his place, but they still have a great victory. And then they show back up home. They get home, and what's happening? These these people are singing about how great Saul is, but how even greater David is. And Saul begins to fall into the comparison trap. He begins to look at that. You see, here's the thing, and this is in your notes. Comparison creates either inferiority or superiority in us, both of which are negative. We look at people and we basically say this, either I'm better than they are or they're better than me. And both of those are negatives. Both of those remove and steal from us who God has made us to be. And that's what Saul begins to do. Listen, they didn't say in the song, Saul did nothing. Saul was a worthless guy. Saul should have been out there fighting and he didn't. They just simply said Saul did this and David did this. And it made Saul angry. Because he began to compare. He began to feel inferior to David. He began to feel like, honestly, I'm the king. I should be the one. Okay, David David can get his thousands, but I'm the one that's killed ten thousands. And here's what's interesting about that. That was probably true. You see, earlier on, Saul had fought many, many more battles than David. The song was probably incorrect. Saul was the one who had killed the ten thousands. David had maybe killed a thousand. But in that moment, in the emotion of the moment, they sang that song and it really, really caused a lot of problems. And here's the thing. We need to understand this. We live in that type of world. We live in a comparison type of world. What's interesting is we want to to kind of have this idea of because we compare ourselves so much, we want to find a way to make sure that when people see us, they see us in the way that we want them to see us. Okay. Now, hey, listen, I am not a guy about, I don't know much about photography at all. I know that you take a phone and you get the, the little, little camera button and you hit that and you push the button. That's it. That's all I got. However, I do know people who are into photography. And I know that they have lenses and they have filters and, they, and some people you know, use their phone and they'll, they'll get all these special little apps. That you can, you know, adjust the picture and all these things. We, we really live in a filtered life, don't we? I remember when I was a kid, I remember one year for Christmas, mom got, I'm going I'm to age myself, but that's okay. Mom got a Kodak disc camera. You remember those? I'm going to get you with the Kodak disc. Remember that? Okay, look okay. at Y'all making me feel old. Anyway, there was these cameras, and that's what she got. And you know what was amazing about these cameras? Are you ready for this? I know, I'm glad you're all seated so you don't just fall over as, as I share this unbelievable understanding of, of the past. You would open the camera. You would press the button. And the picture you took is the picture you got. That's it. 
you couldn't go to your computer and put it in and Photoshop and do all the stuff. I mean, that was it. And you'd go to Walmart or wherever you would get your pictures developed and you'd come back and you'd get 24 pictures or something like that. And, you know, like three would be good. We don't live in a world like that anymore. We want to filter everything. We want to make sure everything that goes out is in a way that is how we want people to see us. How we think people will be impressed with us. And you know what we've created? We've created in somewhat a land of make-believe. A land of make-believe. We've created a world that's not necessarily truth. Because we've put so many filters and, and, and we pretend about who we really are. We walk into church. The whole world is falling apart. Our lives are falling apart. How are you? Fine. Great. Awesome. Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. We're, we're fake. We're phony. We're pretend. Why? Because we, want, we don't want people to compare us with them. We don't want people to look at us and go, well, obviously they're not, something's not right in their life. Or whatever it might be. And so we put all these filters over our lives. We've, we've gotten very good at pretending about who we really are. And I want you to look at this in your notes because I want you to remember this. Not just today, but throughout the entire series. Okay? As I was looking at this and putting this together, these, this was one of those things that, that God kind of was like, this is big, this is important, we need to hear this in our world today. And it's this, listen, pretending will paralyze your growth potential. Pretending will paralyze your growth potential. We want to grow. God wants us to help us to grow. God wants to do those things in our lives. We want to plant the right things and harvest the right things. But listen, if you pretend, it will paralyze you. It will paralyze you. Because you know what? We don't just pretend with each other. We literally pretend with God. We literally think that we can fool God and think that everything's fine, God. God knows. God knows what we're going through. God understands those things. And listen, when we lie, and I use that word on purpose, when we pretend with each other, what we're doing is we're robbing each other of the miracle and of the awesome moment where we can empower each other, help each other, be there for each other. Listen, I've said this to people before. You know, people will come and say, hey, thank you for, for doing this, or thank you for praying. And you know what my response is? Thank you for telling me. Because of all my five gifts that I have, you know, I don't have many. Mind reading is not one of them. I didn't get that one. I need to be told what's going on so that I can pray and be more effective in how I help and I'm there for people. And you need that too. But you know, when we put this cocoon on, when we put on this mask and we kind of come in, everything's fine, everything's great, it really affects how we grow. It really affects how we can help others. It paralyzes us. It paralyzes us. And so I know what that brings in our hearts. I know what that brings in our minds. Is We go, well, I can't do that. I can't share that. I can't, I can't do those things. I can't live an unfiltered life in front of people or in front of Jesus. Listen, that's why this next thing is in your notes. Look down here. Write this down. Understand this because you need to get it. Jesus and we as a church are not afraid of your brokenness. 
We're not afraid of your brokenness. There, listen, hear me here. As your pastor, there is nothing you're ever going to say to me that I'm going to go, huh, never heard of that one before. Huh, that's a new one. Nothing. We are, listen, hear my heart on this. We are saved in a moment. Grace comes in, we are forgiven. But you know what? Sanctification is a process. There are broken things in me. There are broken things in you. Now, here's what's great about that. God loves us in our brokenness. God is not scared of our brokenness. What God wants to do is he wants to heal our brokenness. How does that really happen? Well, God, as much as I wish at times that he would just come into my life, control me and heal the things that I probably need to be healed, God doesn't work like that. I have to go and bring it to him. I have to acknowledge the brokenness and allow him to bring restoration and healing, to allow him to sanctify me just a little bit more. Unfortunately, in people's lives, we get those things mixed up. We think that, and this is unfortunately, this is typically what we do. We look at our own lives and we go, yes, grace, salvation, immediate sanctification journey. But we look at others and we flip it. We look at others that we want to compare ourselves to and expect that they were sanctified in a moment when that's not how it works. It's a journey. It's a process. But listen, we're not afraid of your brokenness. Jesus is not afraid of your brokenness. He wants to do something amazing in you and through you. So let's continue. Let's look at the three outcomes of the comparison trap. Let's look at how this affects Saul, how it affects his life, how it eventually affects how he even deals with David. Let's look at 1 Samuel 18, 8. In 1 Samuel 18, 8, this is, we kind of pick up again where, where we were before in verse 8. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, they credit David with 10,000 and me with only 1,000. Next, they'll be making him their king. One of the first things that comes when we compare is anger. We get angry. We look at people, we go, why do they have this? Why do they have that? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that gift? And listen, it's really easy as you talk about this stuff, hear me here, to get into material things. And I do believe that's a part of this. Don't misunderstand. But this is greater than basically I want that car and my neighbor has it. These are things that are greater, and it brings forth anger in our hearts. We get angry at others, and you know what else we do? We get angry at God. God, why didn't you give me this gift? God, why didn't you do this in me? God, why didn't you give me that job, or that wife, or that thing, or that ability? God, why do we live in Colorado, and it's 19 degrees out and snowing, and, everybody, and other people live in San Diego, and it's 72 and sunny? We get angry. And anger, as it builds, becomes more and more a part of every aspect of our lives. You know, you look at the world today, 
You look at our culture today, and you know one of the words I would use to describe it? Angry. People are just angry. Why? Why do you think that is? Because I think anger has always been around, obviously. But why in our world today? I'll tell you why. Because most people, every single day, they fall into the comparison trap when they get on their phone and they look at everybody else's life and how theirs isn't that way. Think about the people that you follow. You know what I've found? And I don't know this stuff at all. I'm, I'm completely dumb when it comes to all this stuff. But you know what I've found? At least just watching it kind of on the peripheral, the people that have the most followers aren't, you know, like just the accountant that works in Westminster. You hear that? It's, it's the famous. It's, it's the beautiful. It's the athlete. It's all the people that, that have all these things. They're the ones with millions and millions and millions of followers. And what do people do? They go, oh, wow, look, this person just bought a Ferrari. Isn't that wonderful? My car just broke down, and, it's in, and, 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 and it needs new tires. And we get angry. Why did they, they're not that talented. They're not that great. They're, and we get angry, and it begins to fester in our lives. And it's what happened with King Saul. He began to get angry. Angry. Next, let's look at 1 Samuel 18, 9. Again, as we just continue going down the verses, okay? So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Jealousy. Obviously, we got to talk about jealousy. Because really, a lot of this comes from that. It's interesting that in we, as we look at the, the, the Ten Commandments, one of the, the sections of them really deals with this. It deals with jealousy. Look at James 3. In James 3, 15 and 16, this is what it says. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. And this is big. Because a lot of times we, we kind of we uh, level sin. You get what I'm meaning? Like, like, okay, this sin is here, this sin is here, this sin is here. It's all sin. Okay? And usually jealousy is kind of one of those things that we kind of say, ah big of a deal is it listen listen to what James says about jealousy he says such things are earthly unspiritual and demonic he's literally literally calling jealousy a demonic activity this is big this is important and we think that you know it's just not that big of a deal it's earthly unspiritual and demonic and listen for whatever for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition there you will find disorder and evil of every kind that really goes back again to this idea of planting harvesting and all those sort of things listen if you begin to plant jealousy if you begin to plant anger if you begin listen what's going to happen disorder and evil of every kind is going to be your harvest it's going to be your harvest that's why these things matter so much look at second corinthians 10 12 in current second corinthians 10 12 it says this but when they measure themselves by one another and listen here it is all the way back in corinthians and compare themselves with one another they are without understanding. 
they are without understanding. When we compare, when we begin to look, when we begin to... Listen, and here's the thing, I've always found this interesting. Because, because Christians do this just as much as, as the unsaved, and, and we spiritualize it. You know, we, we, want, we want to have the spiritual walk of so-and-so. We want to have the spiritual gifts of so-and-so. But here's what I found about that, is, is we don't see... You know, that verse said we, we, we don't have an understanding of that. We don't see the time. We don't see the, 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 the planting of these people that have done over years of their life. We're just seeing their harvest, which is awesome and great. And, and we should desire a great harvest too. Don't misunderstand me. But when we compare ourselves with them, we think that it was easy. We think, oh, they just woke up one day and that's how it happened. Listen, trust me on this. That's not how it happened. Those men and women have been on their face at 3 a.m. weeks at a time. You get what I'm saying here? We don't always understand. And plus, their giftings are going to be different than our giftings. And that's good. Because God has something for them to do that's different than he has us to do. So we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be jealous of each other. The final thing. Look at 1 Samuel 18. We're going to start with verse 12 and go for verse 15. It says this. Saul was then afraid of David. For the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did. For the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. It starts with anger, then you have jealousy, and then you have fear. You have fear. Saul was afraid. He was afraid because he knew that when you compare, when he understood, he began, as you compare yourself to others, listen, hear me here. Because of the way the world is, you're very rarely going to measure up. And so you become fearful. Why? I'm not good enough. I can't do this. God hasn't called me. I can't accomplish this for God because I don't have the gifts that so-and-so has. And we allow fear to paralyze us. We allow fear to keep us from accomplishing the things that God wants to do in us. We begin to look at others and see their success and see how God's using them. And we begin, oh, God can't do that. God wouldn't do that. I'm not this. I'm not that. I don't have that. And we allow that fear of failure and that fear of not being enough to keep us from accomplishing what God wants us to. Because we're so focused on others. So focused on others. The final thing I want to look at, I want to give you some some application, because here's the thing. I have never met a single human being in my life that hasn't on occasion fallen into the comparison trap. And so for you, for me, because I know I do, I want to look at how do we escape the comparison trap? How do we escape this trap? Okay, and here's what's great. Not only does this help us escape it, it helps us from falling in in the first place. So we can use these in both, okay? But we need to understand that. And in this, we're going to look at Romans 1, 21. In Romans 1, 21, it, it gives us an escape plan. 
if we'll follow it, it'll give us not only, like I said, an escape plan, but a way to not fall in in the first place. And this is what it says. For although they knew God, let's stop there. Although they knew God. Listen, who is Paul talking about here? People that know God. Okay? That's the first thing we need to understand. One of the issues that, that people have is, hear me here, they don't know God. And we have to know God. If we're going to stay out of this trap or escape it. But these people who Paul is writing to. Is he speaking about people that know God. But this is what he says about them. They neither, they neither glorified him as God. Nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. I want to give you three things that we can do to escape this trap and not fall into it. Number one, first one, magnify God, glorify God. I remember when I was a kid, I used to be like most kids, I used to watch cartoons. And I remember watching a cartoon, and I don't remember, honestly, what cartoon it was, but I think you'll know what I'm talking about here. In one of these cartoons, uh, somebody or somebody grabbed a magnifying glass, okay? Remember those? You know, you know well, of course you know. You know what those are, okay? And so, and what they did was they took the magnifying glass, and it may have been like ducktails or something. I don't remember. Anyway, they, they shined the light through the magnifying glass and held it, and they focused a beam on like a rope or something. You've seen this, okay? And they focused it, and they, they, the beam focused on that little spot on the rope, and eventually began to smoke, and then it gets to kind of fire, and then it broke the rope. You know what's interesting about magnifying glasses? They focus things. They focus light, they focus items, they bring them in, 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 in you know, they, they could be they look hard to see, but they bring them closer, they bring them uh, in more detail. Listen, we want to magnify God, we want to focus on Him, focus on what He has done, what He has said about you and me, about what His plans are for us. But if we're focused on other things, if we're focused on other people, we have a hard time of focusing in on what God is wanting us to do and what God is asking us to do. But here's the thing. If first and foremost we are focused on him and what he thinks and what his desires and what all those things are, you know what happens, Scripture tells us, is all those other things grow strangely dim. Grow strangely dim. Sometimes we have to understand that the things we've allowed to have the most light in our lives are the things that are really killing us, both mentally and spiritually. We need to allow God to take the first place. Second, and listen, these aren't hard, okay? These, aren't, these are one of those things that, listen, they're simple, but they're hard for us to do. Number two, just be thankful. Be thankful. I mean, look, next Sunday, because of the weirdness of the month, you know, it's first, I think it's the, the first. It's Thanksgiving time. It is the time when we remember to be thankful. Can we, can we do something? Let's start that just a week early and then continue it after Thanksgiving. Um, how about, let me, give you an, let me give you an idea of what I'm thinking here. How about the rest of our lives? I mean, it's funny, we're so poor at being thankful for all the blessings of God that we literally have to have a holiday to remind us to do it. And I know that's not why it came, but you get what I'm saying here. Be thankful. 
you know, it may sound elementary to you, but maybe every day wake up and think of five things you're thankful for. Here, I'll start your list. Are you ready? So tomorrow you wake up. Number one, you woke up. Number two, unless I'm not understanding certain situations in your life, you have a roof over your head. Number two. Number three, you may have breakfast that morning or coffee or juice or lunch in the day. That's number four. Can I, do I need to go on here? How about this? Number five, you woke up in your bed, not a hospital one. Folks, we have so much to be thankful for. And you know the reason we have such a hard time being thankful? Because we're living our lives in a trap and in a pit, looking at what everybody else has and forgetting how truly blessed we are as a people. We need to be thankful. One of the things that I really appreciate about how John leads worship is his desire to help us be thankful. Why is that? Because we enter his courts with thanksgiving. We come in with a thankful heart because of all that Jesus has done. And here's the deal. I gave you five that are earthly things. I didn't even talk about Jesus. I didn't even talk about the fact that we can have a hope and a future that when all this is over, we win. We have so much to be thankful for. So let's start living with a heart of thanksgiving. Let's start living in a place of thanksgiving and start understanding that God wants to help us live that way. Remember, he wants to help us to grow in this area. The final thing, if the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. Renew your mind. Renew your mind, okay? How, how, what does that mean, Aaron? How, how do we renew our, our mind. Here, here's, here's how I believe we do that. We get in God's word and we get the mind of Christ to replace our earthly, unspiritual, broken mind. Okay? And one of the best ways to do that is to spend time daily understanding the mind of God. We love to talk about the heart of God, and I love talking about that too. But you know what? We also need to be a people that understand the mind of God as well. We need to understand how God sees situations, and how God sees circumstances, and what God desires to do in us and through this. But you know what? We can't do that. We can't know who God's called us to be. We can't understand how, how much he loves us if we don't understand what he says in his word. And listen, I know it's one of those things where it's like, I know it's, it's elementary. I mean, but here's the thing. Do we really do it? Do we really live this way? I mean, look, maybe because I'm simple-minded, I don't know. I, I usually try not to come to you and basically say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you read at least four chapters of the Bible a day in the original Greek or Hebrew... And, and, and you need to make sure, yeah. we just need to do the simple things. And here's what's awesome about God. When we'll do the simple things, he'll take care of the rest. But you know what's interesting? Even in that, it's a trap. 
Because we go, well, you know, I, I bet you so-and-so, they're, they're, they're doing this or, or they're doing that or they understand things so much greater than I do or whatever it might be. And we forget to just focus in on what God has for us to do today. And we fall in a trap. And listen, hear me here. Some of us have been living in the bottom of a pit for a really long time. And I believe that, that God wants to bring you out of that pit. I think the old song or something or the old saying, you know, that God wants to rescue you from the muck and the mire. When I think of muck and mire, I just think of this just disgusting pit that you're just stuck in, almost like quicksand. And God wants to bring you out. Because here's the thing. Saul didn't kill the first giant. He was defeated by him. Because he stayed in his tent and didn't fulfill his role, he failed and the giant defeated him without him ever stepping on the battlefield. And here's the other thing. The second giant defeated him too. And as you begin to look into 1 Samuel, you begin to hear the things. Because Saul failed in killing the second giant, he not only made his life miserable, but he made David's life miserable as well. You see, here's the thing. You fall in that pit, you're not usually there by yourself. You'll usually grab people and yank them down with you. So this is not just to help you. It's to help your spouse, your kids, your, your employees, your boss, whoever you come in contact with. Because this affected everything. Spears were thrown at David's head because of this. And eventually, it led to death in Saul, and not only Saul, but in his sons as well. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. But spiritually speaking, listen, hear me here. If you live in that pit, you'll die spiritually at some point. And that's not what God has for you. It's not what God has for me. Remember, God wants you to grow and God wants to help you to grow. But one of the first things we got to do is to start climbing out of the pit. Start magnifying God. Start being thankful to God. Start allowing God to renew our mind and our thinking so that we can as we walk, as we get out and as we're walking, we can go, nope, I see it. There's the trap. I'm not going there. And we sidestep it and we keep moving for God. Saul failed. We don't want to. David, even though he could have gotten puffed up and proud and basically, all right, let's go. These women are singing about me. Yeah, I... Superiority would have been his downfall, just like inferiority with Saul's, but David chose not to. If you look at David's songs that he wrote during this period of his life, you know what you find? It's amazing. You find thankfulness. You find David desiring renewal. Isn't that awesome? You see David understanding and glorifying God and magnifying Him. It's how He stayed out of the trap. And that's how we will too.
So let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, I thank you for, for this. And I thank you that, that above all, above all, the best way to figure this out, the best way to deal with this is not to try to fix it on our own. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, you'll help us. God, you want us to grow and you'll help us to grow. God, you are here and a part of this situation. We're not on our own. We need you and you'll help us. But God, let's be honest. A lot of us, we fall in this trap. Some of us may be in this trap right now. And God, you have not created us. You did not save us. You did not promise us full and abundant life in a pit and in a trap. You want to save us and bring us out. And so, Father, now that we hopefully have realized it, we've kind of realized the predicament that we in, God, we turn to you. And we as a congregation and as a family, Jesus, we look to you and say, help. We say, be our rescuer. Father, help us get out of this comparison trap and onto dry land again. And Father, let us be a people that magnifies you, that is thankful to you, that allows you on a daily basis to renew our minds and our hearts so that we know to stay away. And Jesus, here's the great thing. Even if we fall in again, which probably we might, you will always be there to help us out. You will always provide a way of escape. As you said in your word, If we'll look to you, you'll pull us out. So no matter where we're at, no matter where we're in, if we're in it right now or whatever, God, you can help us to be able to grow in this area and be different and more like you. We love you and we thank you. Let's all stand. John's going to lead us in a closing chorus.
Thank you, Father. You know, here's the deal. Just, I want us to remember this. So I'll repeat it probably a lot. Because this is a hard thing for a lot of people. But God is here to help you. Okay? God desires to help us grow. He wants us to grow. He'll help us to grow. You're not on your own. Okay? So you don't have to fight it on your own. You, don't, you can look to Him. And He desires to be there. He desires to help you. Whether you're in a pit, He can reach down and pull you out. Or even as you're headed towards there, you know, and He's going to be like, Hey, hey, you're, 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 you're headed to a not a good place. And if we'll listen, we can miss it. We're not alone, folks. He's with us. He's going to help us plant the right things so we can have an amazing harvest. So, Father, we admit that we need you. We know that we got to have your help in these areas. And we celebrate the fact that you promised that you would. You will be with us and you will help us. So we celebrate you this morning. We know that you're in control and we trust you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, for all of you that are here, please be careful. I don't know what the roads are like, but be careful going home. Thank you for being here. For everybody online, we love you. We hope you're doing well. Again, if we don't have, uh, we don't know who you are, don't be shy. Let us know a little bit more about you. We'd love to connect with you even virtually, okay? Love you guys. Have a great week.